We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. We're taking a close look at the top three NFL draft prospects at each position on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. And Matt, the Combine starts up this week. This is when things start getting fun. Are you pumped for the Combine? Uh of course I am. I have already uh placed some Combine performance bets. Uh I have a lot more to do uh to do just in terms of researching and writing some articles and uh, placing some bets on it. So yeah, I'm very excited about the combine. Yeah, me too. Um, Very enlightening is the combine always. uh, And it creates so much content for us to sift through after and to really get to know these players. And we have some tools that are going to be coming out in the coming weeks at Rotoviz that are going to make good use of this combine Data On today's episode, we are going to look at the top three prospects at each position based on the Rotoviz Scouting Index, which I will explain shortly. But first, how much are you enjoying the AAF? Oh, it's glorious. I mean, it's uh, 
I'm not really even watching that much of it. I'm watching some highlights, but uh, betting on the Alliance is really fun. Uh, and it gives you like the chance to, uh, you know, uh, just not reminisce. That's the wrong word. Cause it's not as if I'm like reminiscing about, uh, Trent Richardson or anything, but it gives you like the opportunity just to like apply some of your knowledge of like obscure prospects who probably aren't going to do anything in the NFL, but, uh, who still have an opportunity to, uh, do their thing, uh, playing football. So, uh, that is fun for sure. And actually the other interesting thing now too, uh, with the combine, going on and the all of the prospects that we're going to be looking at the guys that don't pan out we will now be able to follow them more closely and see perhaps what could have been or how far off we were on certain players um so it's kind of cool to have this league going on now with enough with enough exposure that we'll kind of get to see that yeah i agree quick reminder here that you can still get a rotoviz Listener-only 30% off subscription to an NFL subscription through the Rotoviz homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Today, a bunch of best ball tools created by Mike Beers went up. If you are a best ball player and you do not have a Rotoviz subscription, you need to stop everything that you're doing immediately and go and check out those tools and sign up to your sub. And again, you can do that through rotoviz.com forward slash podcast and get a 30% off subscription. All right. With that out of the way, Matt, a quick rehashing of the road of his scouting index. I am going to various traditional scouting outlets across the interwebs, finding sources that we feel are doing a pretty good job of updating their rankings routinely, making sure that there's some validity as much as we can find or decipher to how they're scouting prospects and then aggregating these into a RSI score, which is going to give us an idea of what the scouts are seeing and likely how NFL teams are going to evaluate these players. Now in our first version, there's sure going to be some updates after the combine, but a couple of big names have been excluded at a couple of sites, dropping some of the bigger names down in the rankings which we'll talk about when the time comes. But let's start with quarterbacks. You said last week that you felt this quarterback class was not nearly as strong as the one we saw last year. Yeah, that's right. So last year, I think, um, I mean, say what you want about Josh Allen, but he's someone who, you know, was drafted with a high pick. Um, Scouts were, you know, fairly unanimous on thinking he was a first rounder. Um, We had five quarterbacks drafted in the first round. That's, uh, I believe, the most we've ever had. Um, and you know, they all saw playing time. Um, you know, they were all guys who I think deserve to see playing time as rookies this year. I think there are only two guys who deserve to be drafted in the first round. Although, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for quarterbacks to have inflated value. So we could see someone like, uh, Drew Locke or Daniel Jones, maybe even like Will Greer drafted, uh, in the second half of the first round. But I think there are really only two who deserve to be first rounders. For sure. And as we mentioned, that is going to be Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray. So Haskins, if you're not aware, went to Ohio State. Uh, He played two seasons, um, really only logging substantial passing attempts in 2018. 494 passing attempts, 346 completions, a 70% completion rate, 4,500 yards, 46 passing touchdowns to eight interceptions. Um, 73 rushing attempts, 122 yards, four rushing touchdowns. What do you make of that profile, Matt? 
Yeah. Um, so Stephen A. Smith famously said that he thinks Haskins is more of a runner than a passer, which is uh, <laughs> absolutely wrong. Um, Haskins really is not much of a runner at all. Right. Um, but yeah, he's someone who's had fantastic passing production. And it's it's kind of hard to know um, exactly what that means because uh, he was a redshirt sophomore. He was playing in a, um, I wouldn't say it's like a simplified system, but like Ohio State and Urban Meyer's offenses in general, like that isn't a system that has produced um, a lot of NFL quarterbacks right. uh, who have had success. Uh, and then, he, as you mentioned, uh, he played really only one year. Like he started only one year. Um, and quarterbacks who have only one year of starting uh, in college historically don't translate well to the NFL. So like there are red flags. And so that also is part of the thing with this class. It's not that you have two high end quarterbacks who are, uh, you know, like deserving to be first rounders and definitely locked in for NFL success. You have two guys who have some uncertainty in their profiles. Uh, so that's like, that's a pretty substantial thing, but, um, it's hard to say that, a guy with 50 passing touchdowns and you know 4,800 passing yards that he doesn't have a shot of NFL success. Like he does, he has a lot of upside, um, but he is a pocket passer. He's not someone who has the mobility that we saw previously out of someone like, um, even like Sam Darnold, right? But like, if you had to compare him to any of the quarterbacks in last year's class, like, I hate to say it, like, in some ways, the quarterback he's most comparable to is Josh Rosen because of the extent to which he is just sort of, like, stuck in the pocket. Yeah, and I do want to point out, so JT Barrett, who was the quarterback at Ohio State before him um, in 2017 on 354 attempts, put up 2,939 yards with just 35 passing touchdowns. So what we saw from Haskins uh, in that redshirt sophomore season was pretty substantial um, in the confines of that offense, like you said, might not be as complex as some are out there. Uh, and that that uh, comp that you had of Sims, or excuse me, of um, Rosen, right? Rosen. Rosen, yeah. yeah. So if I'm looking at some of the Sims that we've generated thus far, you're going to see names like Mitch Trubisky, uh, Greg McElroy, Scott Tolzien, and a couple other players that are yet to be in the league, Jake Fromm, and um, actually uh, Tua from Alabama. So I think that it really is off base with the presentation that you get from Stephen A. Smith, which is not surprising, but it is hard to deny that production that he put up, and it is impressive. So that's Haskins, who looks to be far and away the number one in what I've seen. Um, in the scouting index, I can tell you that every site that we looked at has him ranking in at number one. So Kyler Murray, any thoughts on him, Matt? Uh, quarterback out of Oklahoma, playing um, in three seasons, really, though, it's similar to Haskins, only going over 300 attempts in 2018, 339 attempts, 240 completions. Like Haskins, that's a 70% completion rate, 4,000 yards, 40 passing touchdowns, seven interceptions. He is more of a rusher, though. 892 yards on 123 attempts last season with 11 rushing touchdowns to boot. So 
perhaps a player that can do a little bit more, but not as natural of a passer, perhaps? No, it's it's weird. I actually think he's just as natural of a passer as um, as Haskins. Okay. It's just that that's not the only thing that he can do. And um, actually, if you count his bowl game, he actually had over a thousand yards rushing. Um, the guy that I think he is most comparable to, it's, I mean, it's a weird situation because like we've never seen anyone like him before mm-hmm. in terms of his overall skill set. Um, but the guy I think he's most comparable to is, uh, Pat White from, uh, West Virginia. Yeah. From West yep. Virginia, uh, who was drafted like in the second round by the wildcat Miami dolphins. And I think they just kind of didn't know what to do with him. And he, he, the thing is he also wasn't like as natural of a passer, um, as Kyler Murray is. Um, but, uh, you know, similar guy, like two sport athlete, um, similar size. Uh, I think it's just a different era now in the NFL, um, with the protections for quarterbacks. I think Murray actually can succeed in a way that someone like Pat White couldn't. Um, so I think like, I don't know. People are wanting to make the comparison to Russell Wilson. Um, and I, I do think there are similarities. Um, but I think there are also differences in that like Wilson had, uh, like multiple seasons of success. Um, and he did it both at NC state and Wisconsin very proficiently, especially at Wisconsin in that season, which he transferred right into that starting role too, and and hit the ground running. Now, Murray did transfer from A&M to Oklahoma, but it was a little bit different, I think, as Wilson was the starter at both schools, um, and played like a tremendous role his entire career, not to cut you off there, but yeah, no, it's just, I, I don't know. Like, I think, I think Murray has a real chance of being a pretty good NFL quarterback, I prefer him above Haskins. That's not to really take anything away from Haskins, but um, I don't know. Like, if 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 Murray were, if Murray had Haskins size, people would think he's like one of the greatest quarterback prospects of all time. Um, and I think like the difference in size isn't as important as people will probably make it out to be. Yep, definitely. Uh, And and just to kind of tease some of these comps here, the most impressive of either of those players, uh, Cam Newton is a comp. He's the third comp for Kyler Murray. We still might be kind of tweaking some of the things that we're doing behind the scenes and generating these. But um, when you see a name like that on there, it's it's hard not to get excited. Not that it necessarily, I think... um, from a viewing type of standpoint or necessarily the way that they played in college lines up, but the numbers do give him a comp to cam, which is nothing to scoff at. Well, yeah. I mean, and the thing is the way that they, they played in college, like those are similar styles. Like um, he is a proficient running quarterback. Um, Very few guys. And then on top of that, he had like 13 adjusted yards per attempt. Like he, he's one of the most efficient college quarterbacks of all time. Just, you know, if you're looking at like a one season sample, but, um, his season was fantastic. And so if you look at what Baker Mayfield was able to do in the NFL this year, um, I think what it showed is that someone coming from that type of spread system that Oklahoma runs, that person can have success. Um, and Mayfield is not a big guy either. So you have to ask yourself, like, can someone who, uh, with just one season outdo anything that Mayfield did, can that person have success? Even if that person is, you know, 
10 pounds lighter than Baker Mayfield and like an inch or two shorter. Like, yeah, I think that person can probably have success. Like there's nothing that we've seen so far based on what Mayfield has done to indicate that that person couldn't have success. Yeah, I can definitely understand that and appreciate that perspective. So it is going to be um, very fun watching his game translate to the NFL because uh, I do think that it can happen in both phases of the game. As we move on to our third quarterback, we're going to look at three players from each position. Drew Locke out of Missouri. Substantial body of work here. 263 attempts as a freshman uh, in his career. 1,481 attempts. Um, to highlight um, his best season uh, from a touchdown perspective, 43 passing touchdowns in 2017. The big knock on him, though, I think is going to be the completion percentage, which even in his best season uh, in 2018 as a senior was just 63%. Nonetheless, though, um, you're looking at a career with 11,551 passing yards, 95 touchdowns, did throw 38 picks, um, not much of a rusher. But I do think that the experience is going to be something that teams are going to want to look at. And uh, it's a little bit easier to digest his body of work here again because we have those four seasons to look at. Yeah, and he is like that classic kind of NFL-looking quarterback in that he's 6'4", 225 pounds. Um, He does have a strong arm. He's not much of a runner, but he did get progressively better as a runner each year and better at avoiding sacks each year, um, which obviously like correlates with uh, because in college sacks are counted into your rushing total. So uh, if he avoids sacks, it makes his rushing totals look better. But uh, he did get better as a runner. And the one thing that is kind of weird uh, about his production is that although he did complete more passes his senior year, uh, and he, he threw more attempts, he took a pretty big decline in passing efficiency, yep. both from a touchdown perspective and from a yardage perspective. And some of that could have to do with his uh, his receiving group. But um, I don't know. I think that's a little bit of a of a red flag. Like he there there are times like if you want to find something good about Drew Locke, you can find a play where it's just like, wow, he looks like an NFL quarterback. But there are times when he makes throws and you're just like, I don't know what he was trying to do there. Um, He's just been, throughout his career, a very inconsistent passer. So, uh, I don't know. I think there will be some scouts and some GMs who just fall in love with his his attributes. But uh, I think his consistency is going to be something that could be a real problem. Yeah, and we've talked about this before when we when we talked about Josh Allen, and to be honest, at this point, not that I'm ever really going to get that into the into the film, but I don't know what the theory is that's driving that low completion percentage for him. But he is down in an area where it's hard to see players make substantial progress in the NFL in raising that completion percentage. So that's definitely a red flag for me, and I think it's probably the biggest knock that you can draw. On him. From a comp perspective, too, there's no real interesting names that jump out when you look through what we're generating uh, as of today for him. Of course, you know, the combine is going to play into that, and um, maybe we can draw some new conclusions once we have that data. But like we said last week, it's really um, Murray and Haskins at the top of this class. Moving on to running back, 
I need to point out that Josh Jacobs is the number one rated back at the majority of sources we're looking at. However, though, he did not get ranked in the there was one site that was only ranking nine players. He fell outside of the top nine, which I don't think really makes any sense. Um, so why don't you give us your opinion on Jacobs? And if it's ludicrous that he's not in there, maybe we can shift uh, him into the top three. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty split on Jacobs in that. So with running backs, what matters most is uh, draft position and then volume, like how much volume they get in the NFL. Um, and people are uh, very high on Jacobs, uh, even though he was never lead back at Alabama. Um, you know, it's sort of like Kenyon Drake a few years later. Like that's what he was for that offense. Kenyon Drake was never a lead back for Alabama, but he was drafted, you know, with a top 100 pick. I think that's probably going to be what happens with Josh Jacobs. Um, you know, last year he had 14 touchdowns uh, in 15 games, uh, only 887 yards from scrimmage. Um, but you know, he was a pretty explosive player. So, I mean, people really like him. Um, I don't think that he's really done anything that stands out to me, but you know, I don't really watch the film all that much. What I've seen, you know, he looks like, he looks like a running back. That's, you know, my sort of like, (laughs) you know, it's like, like Michael Scott, when he's like sniffing a wine and he's like, this is a red, um, that's, that's what I see with Josh Jacobs. I see a guy who looks like a running back. Yes. Um, you know, as I started to look through these profiles and I'm looking just purely at the numbers, there's nothing that suggests to me this is the type of player that would be a unanimous number one across all of these scouting sites. Now, that's not the case, but it's it, it, the other interesting element to this, too, is the player that does rank in at one, Damian Harris, um, who I think averaged a rank of two. So a lot of sites had him right behind Jacobs. So if you look at the production that Harris has, uh, there's more yardage, um, but still nothing too impressive. Nonetheless, though, over four years at Alabama, put up 2,674 rushing yards, 21 touchdowns across those four seasons in the passing game. His highest total was 17 receptions in 2018 for 162 yards, did have two receiving touchdowns as a sophomore. Um you know, again, not the most impressive profile. Now, obviously, they're splitting attempts, but I think we're going to have this situation like we've had before with these Alabama backs where we need to tease out, is it just that they were that body in that offense, or is there something special about these guys? Now, we don't have the combine data yet, which will help, but I'm not sure that I'm blown away by him either. Yeah, uh, Damian Williams, I don't think it's going to test all that well, but I think he will be kind of like sufficient uh, and the Alabama backs, like they can, I mean, like, remember like Mark Ingram, uh, he had a sloth like, um, athletic profile. Um, but you know, the big thing is he's, you know, an Alabama back. He was drafted highly. I think we're going to see something sort of similar with Damian Williams. Like uh, Damian Harris, this, right? Sorry. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yep. Damian Harris to, to put this in perspective. Um, if you look at all of the Alabama backs, from the past decade who have had a thousand scrimmage yards. And remember Harris had three straight seasons of a thousand scrimmage yards. Uh, All of those guys have been selected with the top 100 pick. Like I think it's a a virtual certainty that Damian Harris is going to be selected before the end of the third round. Um, And, you know, given that, given his production profile, given his size, 
Yeah, I think he's going to be someone who probably has production in the NFL. Uh, it might not be high end production, but you know, even someone like uh, T.J. Yeldon, yep. um, he's you know been a, a relative disappointment, but he still has at least one thousand uh, one thousand yards in a season in the NFL. Right, uh, Mark Ingram. I pulled him up just as we were talking about that. Uh, it might be interesting for people to hear. So in three seasons, 3,060 rushing yards on 530 attempts, but 38 rushing touchdowns. So as a freshman, 12, 15 as a sophomore, 11 as a junior. And in his sophomore season, 1,542 yards. Uh, So he was a Heisman Trophy winner. And the interesting thing is, as we're looking at these Alabama backs now, neither of them have anything like that 2009 season, 249 attempts, 1,542 rushing yards and 15 rushing touchdowns. So I forgot just how good uh, Ingram was at Alabama. Uh, Moving out of the Crimson Tide, David Montgomery we have currently at two on the RSI. Um, Montgomery, a back out of Iowa State, played three seasons. Uh, career yardage is 2,654 with 25 rushing touchdowns. Uh, 66 receptions for 519 yards, no receiving touchdowns. But, uh, you know, perhaps there is um, some hope for him as a receiving back. Your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I really like David Montgomery. Um, I have him as my number one back right now. I think he should be probably like uh, in in rookie drafts, probably mm-hmm. a top five pick, uh, just kind of depending on what you want to do with the wide receivers. Yep. But um, yeah, uh, as you mentioned, he has the ability as a receiver um, that a lot of running backs need in the NFL. Um, 58 receptions, 453 yards receiving in his final two seasons. Um, he's a three down player. I would expect him to be drafted no later than the end of round two. Yeah. And if you look at, um, some adjusted market shares where we remove out, um, players of other positions. So you take away quarterback rushing. Um, he is really strong rushing um, attempts adjusted market share he's at 77 percent rushing yards adjusted market share which is a pretty important to look at with these backs he's at 90 percent and rushing touchdown adjusted market share at 92 so you're looking at a player that really controlled this offense good yardage can play a role in the passing game we think uh so yeah looks like a good profile to me man yeah, I mean, so you're basically, uh, yeah, I mean, this is like a, this is a Friedman back. This is a guy who has like a, a workhorse score, like over 90%. Like this is, yeah, this is the type of guy I'm obviously going to like. Well, naturally, seeing as his one, two, three, four, five, sixth best comp is Bishop Sankey. Oh, of course. Yeah. But well, do you I mean, see- yeah, don't even, don't even mention that his number one comp is Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, he's one of the players I'm really looking forward to getting those combine stats in and then seeing, um, you know, once we update things where he falls out. So he has the Friedman seal of approval. Benny Snell, uh, who I've seen is a junior. So let me see how I can find him in my little database here. Benny Snell Jr. from Kentucky. Three seasons. Um, all over 175 attempts. The rushing yards are are solid, man. 1,057 as a freshman, 1,318 in his second year. Then as a junior, 1,217. 13 rushing touchdowns as a freshman, 13 as a junior, and 18 in 2017 
as a sophomore, competitive market shares, not a whole lot of receiving production. Uh, but I have to imagine that that production does give him an overall fairly positive profile. Yeah, I want him. Um, I like him a lot. Like I have uh, an abnormal uh, desire for SEC runners. <laughs> and um, like I like guys at the running back position who are really large. Mm -hmm. So like just to put this in like the most basic terms, like large SEC runners with uh, over 1,500 scrimmage yards in their final college seasons, those guys tend to have NFL success. Um, like he's in this lineage of other guys who are just, you know, like even if they don't have um, like all pro ceilings, they have really high floors. And that's what I think Benny Snell is. But with someone who does have the ceiling, like he has potential, but I think at a minimum, he's going to be someone who gives at least a couple of years of like pretty strong fantasy production. Yeah, I think that if we think back to last year too, um, and granted, I haven't gone into this too much, but it reminds me, it's a slightly different situation, but it's a Nick Chubb type of player in that yeah. even if there isn't receiving production, it's still the type of player. If you run him between the tackles, you give him a role to just, you know, kind of for lack of a better term, pound it. He's definitely a player that can do it. So there's a floor. It's just going to be a question of where the ceiling is. Yeah, like I would be surprised if uh, by the time, you know, the combine is over and the NFL draft is done with um, that people aren't drafting him with a first round pick and rookie drafts. Yeah, well, once we get that data, we will refresh uh, some of these sims, but it's looking like a player that he could be comp to is Leonard Fournette, uh, which I think would be a pretty exciting comp. Hi, Rotoviz fans. Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. While it may be the off-season for most people, it definitely is not for our listeners or for the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC best ball leagues are already open for the 2019 season, with drafts forming daily starting at just a $35 entry fee. We have you covered with the apps you need for these leagues at RotoViz, so make sure that you go and check out these FFPC best ball leagues. And if you're a fan of the Dynasty format, over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active dynasty leagues starting at $77, and they even have a $5,000 entry dynasty league. The best part is not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years. Limited orphan teams are available for purchase right now, and brand new startup dynasty leagues will be opening shortly. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Rotoviz listeners, go to myffpc.com and register now. Again, that's myffpc.com, the home of season-long hot. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. 
Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. I stakes fantasy football. Matt, DK Metcalf did not crack into the top three. Again, because we had a source that lowered him down substantially in the rankings before we run through, should he be in the top three? I'm fine if he's not. Um, he wasn't productive in college. Um, yep. He was injured a lot of the time. I don't have a problem with it. It's a pretty strong wide receiver class, and I think you can make pretty strong arguments for the guys that we do have in the top three. So, you know, and it's pretty fluid at this point. Um, you know, like Metcalf, if he has a really strong combine, then he's someone we would probably want to bump up a little bit, but I'm I'm good with where we are now. Okay. We will start off with Nkeel Harry out of Arizona State. Uh, his career span, three seasons, 58 receptions as a freshman, 73 in the subsequent two seasons, went over 1,000 yards as a junior and a sophomore. On his career, we're looking at 21 receiving touchdowns, um, a receiving touchdown market share of 40, uh, receiving market share of 28, and a yards market share of 30. Also did have 23 rushing attempts, 144 yards, three rushing touchdowns, which is nice to see a little bit of versatility there. Uh, do you have him as the number one? I should probably also mention uh, total yardage was 2,747 with 13 point five yards per reception yeah i actually have him as my number one player overall um across all positions yeah across nice. all positions okay. so in in rookie drafts right now if you had a rookie draft um he's the guy i would take um he has good size at six four two thirteen. i don't think he's going to be all that athletic um but that i don't know it kind of doesn't bother me all that much like that's not really his game um he's good at being you know like physical at the catch point um, he was a five-star recruit entering uh, Arizona State. He had two 1,000-yard seasons, 26 career touchdowns as a receiver, rusher, and punt returner. Uh, he had a touchdown as a punt returner this final season. So uh, there's a lot of versatility to his game. Um, and he honestly kind of like makes me think of like Michael Crabtree a little bit, um, except like a, a younger, probably better Michael Crabtree. Wow. Um, so yeah, he's, he's my number was one. Really good in, in college. Yeah. Crabtree was good in college, but I don't think he was as strong of an NFL prospect mm -hmm. as Harry is. Okay. Um, I, I think Harry has a better chance of NFL success. Um, do you remember, I forget, I forget who they were playing, but that Michael Crabtree at Texas Tech's play along the sideline, it might've been against Texas to win a very vital yeah. game. Was it against yeah. Texas? Yeah, it was against Texas. Oh my god, what a play that was. Anyway. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on Harry before we move on? No, just uh I think like an all-around very solid player. Fair enough. All right. AJ Brown, um out of Ole Miss, also um played 3 seasons, 29 receptions um in 2016, 75 and 17 and as a junior 85 very, very solid yardage um, in his sophomore season at uh, 1,252, then followed that up with 1,355. 
11 receiving touchdowns as a sophomore, six as a junior. Yards per reception were always above 14, probably averages out somewhere in the 15. From a market share perspective, um, 43% of receiving touchdowns as a sophomore, 27% as a junior, and in receptions was right around 30 as well. Not um, much production in terms of rushing attempts i actually don't know if he was used uh in the kick or punt return game no um he had seven punt returns as a sophomore i'm honestly surprised they even used him uh at, at all as a as a punt returner he's six one, two hundred and thirty pounds like he just doesn't have the frame right. of a punt returner um he's built very much like andre johnson like he's a very thick guy um, but he's exhibited pretty good athleticism. I will be very curious to see uh, how he times uh, at the combine this week. But um, I'll be honest, like I thought about having him ranked as my number one. Um, he wasn't as productive, I think, as he maybe otherwise could have been because for some of the time he had to deal with DK Metcalf. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's a sort of it's not exactly like a Jarvis Landry, Odo Beckham Jr. situation where you have two guys on the field who were sort of uh, siphoning production away from each other, but he did have to deal with Metcalf for a significant part of the last two seasons. Uh, one thing that is really strong about him um, in comparison to Metcalf is Metcalf played pretty much uh, split out wide uh, to the left for, I don't know, like 90% of his snaps. Yep. Um, and he has a fairly limited route tree. AJ Brown played all over the formation. Um, he played a lot in the slot and the people are kind of thinking of him as a slot only big bodied type of guy, but he did play out wide some too. So like, I think he has more of a versatile skill set. Um, but I mean, guys who have his production, his body type, um, play in the sec, like those guys tend to have success. So, uh, he's someone I'm pretty high on. I forget, do you have a proclivity for receivers of any one conference? Or do, do you get as excited when you see SEC receivers as you do SEC running backs? Uh, not quite, but um, I yeah. I mean, I, I still like all things equal. I'm going to prefer guys who played in the, in the SEC. Yep. Uh, I have a question for you. You went yeah. to TCU, right? Yeah. How much did, did uh, athletics or the teams that, you know, would be playing at the school you went to did that factor into your college decision none whatsoever not at all if you were to go back yeah. would you try to go to an sec school no not definitely not <laughs> no okay no all right I, I like watching football but i i don't think i would like want to go to an sec school yeah fair enough all right um let's see so that's aj brown and then marquise brown um out of oklahoma so kyler murray would have been throwing to him so we have two seasons of data on him, 2017, 2018, 49 receptions in 2017, 75 last season, solid yardage, 981 yards, followed by thir uh, 1,318, translating to very strong uh, yards per rec, um, falling in his career out to 18.54, 16 receiving touchdowns. The market share of receptions was 25% of receiving yards, 27 and of touchdowns, 20%. So I don't think this, 
No, this is an interesting profile to me. The market share isn't as impressive, but he did put up a lot of yardage. Uh, and the 16 touchdowns isn't anything to scoff at either. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit dubious. Okay. I'll just say that. So uh, he's 5'10", 168 pounds. Um, he's going to need to be fast. You know, it like just in terms of like the way that I look at receivers, like I need a guy like this to be fast in yep. order to think that he has a real chance of NFL success. Right. Um, and we're not going to see him run at the combine um, because he has a Liz Frank injury. And so people are just kind of assuming that he is fast. And I don't know if we can yeah. safely make that assumption. Um, but he he has had success playing basically like the D.D. Westbrook role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, also Sterling Shepard as a guy who has like had success, who is smaller from Oklahoma. Um, I don't think Shepard and Westbrook have like fully lived up to the potential that they had entering the league. Um, but I still think pretty highly of them, especially Westbrook. The one thing about Westbrook is that he was, uh, super productive in junior college. Um, and then, uh, like the best receiver in college football, his final season, you know, he won the Bolitnikoff and he contributed as a rusher and as a return man. Like we don't see that at all from Marquise Brown, which is kind of weird. Like guys built like him who are like supposedly uh, based on speed. Those guys tend to contribute as runners, like on uh, ends around and um, like punt returns. Like those guys typically get the ball in that way. We didn't see that at all with Marquise Brown. Um, so I don't know. I'm like, I understand why there's enthusiasm about him. Uh, a lot of people have him mocked in the first round. I think he's more of a round two or round three guy. I got to be honest. Um, I think it's going to be hard for me to really get on a board with a guy like him and use a draft pick on him. Uh, you mentioned Westbrook. I want to point out that um, in his 2016 season, um, receiving yards market share of 38, reception market share of 30, but the touchdown market share was 40. Uh, so those are much stronger than what we're seeing with Brown. And given that size, he's either, like you said, going to have to be really fast or he has to be a technician um, to overcome the size. We just have not seen many players where it's panned out. So, yeah, I mean... I don't know how I'm going to get on board with him, especially without being able to get that uh, combine measurement uh, for speed. So um, overall, though, Matt, this class, just because receiver is my favorite position and this is my favorite name. What do you think of little Jordan Humphrey? Nah, not a fan. <laughs> OK. <laughs> do you like any of the other players uh, in in the receiving class? I mean, yeah, I like a lot of these guys. I mean, the thing is, like, I'm a rookie optimist in general. Um, But, yeah, um, J.J. Orsega-Whiteside from Stanford, uh, I like him quite a bit. I like Greg Dortch from Wake Forest, a guy who's young, was super productive in his two seasons there. Andy Isabella uh, from Massachusetts uh, is a guy who, like, he just – he's going to be drafted in the third round by the Patriots. Like, I feel like that's like one of the easiest calls of of draft season. Um, You know, but yeah, there are like a number of guys that like right now looking at them, I think they have potential, even like Paris Campbell coming from Ohio state. uh, He's probably going to tear up the combine Preston Williams from Colorado state, a guy who was a five-star recruit 
really didn't do anything at Tennessee because, you know, like there were, there were just, there were issues there. Um, but then he, you know, had a fantastic breakout season, uh, in his final year at Colorado state. Um, like he's someone who could be like a third or fourth round guy. Um, but who has like number one overall upside. Yep. So there are like maybe like 12 wide receivers that I actually like quite a bit. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's exciting. Let's move on to tight end though. Now, Matt found this so objectionable that he actually uh, pointed out in the outline, but TJ Hawkinson, an Iowa tight end, which makes him somebody we need to talk about, did not finish in the top three of the initial version of the RSI. I'm assuming, Matt, that you want to you want to talk about him first, right? He should be the number one. Yeah, he's he's the number one. The fact the fact that he's not in it throws into question the whole validity of the RSI. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> but, well, it's the first, you know, first iteration. Let's get the combine. They'll get updated. Yeah, it gives it's, me something to talk one. about. Yeah. yeah, but uh, I mean, Hawkinson, he was the the number one tight end in the nation. You know, won the the Mackey Award. Um, he is, I think, the most complete tight end. Um, not just of this class, but I think of maybe the past few classes, um, which, you know, is, uh, I, I don't, it's hard to say that's necessarily like a bold statement because, you know, just a couple of years ago, we saw three tight ends drafted in the first round, yep. but I think this tight end class might be as good as that, you know, that one from two years ago. Uh, Hawkinson is, uh, I mean, I don't want to like take the Lord's name in vain, but like he is Rob Gronkowski S. Yeah just in terms of his ability as a receiver and as a blocker. Uh, and of course he's, he's coming from Iowa, um, which is just like at this point known for developing NFL caliber tight ends. Um, he was the number one receiver on his team in terms of receptions and receiving yards. Um, and pretty close to having the, uh, the school lead in touchdowns too. So, um, there, there's a lot to like about him. And, uh, I mean, he's got the size. He's 6'5", 250. Um, he's, you know, he's not old. Um, there's there's a lot to like about him. Now, tight end, we don't talk about a whole lot, especially in relation to prospects, or at least we haven't at this point uh, recently. What do you think when you're evaluating a tight end? What, what metric are you really looking for that you can kind of uh, like rest your hat on? Because it's a little bit different, I, I feel like, than with wide receiver with running back. Because we're, you know, there's two skill sets that they need yeah. to get teams interested in them, and that they're going to need to. Well, maybe it's changing, but I mean, as you said, the blocking's there, which is huge, but that's kind of hard for us to quantify. So, like, what's the other thing that you you know that we can quantify that you're going to focus on? Yeah, so it's. I feel like I'm still kind of uh, fine tuning my, you know, like quote unquote tight end methodology, yep. but. Um, Age is pretty important um, for tight ends. The guys who have entered the league as 21 year olds, like the, they have uh, an inordinate chance of NFL success. Um, the guys who, and it, this is kind of bifurcated, like yep. there can be tight ends who don't have um, great physicality, but uh, if they have good receiving production and they're drafted highly, like they have a real chance of having success. Um, or the guys who maybe they don't even do much as receivers in college, but they just have fantastic uh, athletic profiles. Um, we've seen guys like that also have success. So it's, 
it's hard to say that there's kind of like one thing that I really look for. I just like, I want to see a guy fall into a bucket and then within that bucket have something that really stands out. Um, and like Hawkinson, uh, I mean, he's going to be drafted. I think at the top 15, at least like it wouldn't surprise me if he were drafted in the top 10, like in the mock draft that I've done, I have him going number eight to the lions. Um, and I think that's like, a, a real possibility. Um, and if he goes that high, like I think in rookie drafts, he should be drafted. I don't know before pick 10. I mean, I, I think even like pick number six probably wouldn't be too early. Wow. Um, <laughs> do, d- does, uh, the lions, um, Eric Ebron connection have anything to do with that mock pick that you make there? <laughs> no, uh, although it would be funny. I mean, and, and it is like they tried to trade for Gronk last year. Yep. Like this would kind of be them uh, having a shot at getting their Gronk type of player. But really, it's Hawkinson fits the draft range and they need a tight end. Yeah, yeah, that that's completely fair. So another Iowa receiver, Noah Fant, um, 76 receptions, 1,074 receiving yards. The market shares. Um, not quite as strong as Hawkinson, um, but nonetheless, in comparison to other tight ends, pretty good. And 18 career receiving touchdowns. I'm assuming that you like him. You just don't like him as much as Hawkinson. Yeah. I mean, if it weren't for Hawkinson, Fant would be like the number one tight end in the class. And like, he arguably is still the number one tight end in the class, just depending on maybe how, uh, how he tested the combine. Like he is expected to be an athletic freak. Yep. Um, you know, he's, he's big, uh, he's around like six, four, six, five, 240 pounds. So like more of a, a move tight end just in the way that he's built, but like he is expected to have, um, I don't know, like Travis Kelsey type of abilities, uh, just in terms of his athleticism, like probably, I think that's even selling him short just in terms of what is expected from him as like a pure athlete, but as a receiver, um, I mean, he had 11 receiving touchdowns in 2017. Yeah. I mean, like led, led the nation at the position in touchdowns receiving, um, entered 2018 as kind of like the presumptive number one tight end in the class before Hawkinson kind of took that from him. But like, uh, he's, he's just like an all around very functional tight end who is still like good on his own as a blocker. It's just like, he's not thought of as the blocker that Hawkinson is, but like he can, he can do enough as a blocker. Um, and then again, like as a receiver, you know, um, he's averaged 500 yards receiving over the past two years, 18 touchdowns receiving over the past two years. Like it, like it doesn't really get much better than that at the tight end position. For sure. And, uh, just to clarify, um, if you're paying, if anybody is paying close attention, Matt, it seems like is including uh bowl game or play, uh, in the case of yeah. Iowa bowl game into his numbers. Yeah. I am not thus the inconsistency. So let's close out with Irv Smith jr. Out of Alabama who has two seasons, just 13 receptions in 2017, 33 in 2018, translating to a total of 661 yards, eight receiving touchdowns, uh, and market shares down in that 13% kind of range. Why do people like him so much, Matt, given these low numbers? Yeah. Um, so they like him for a few reasons. One, um, 
he's young. He's going to be 21 uh, as a rookie. Two, he went to Alabama. Um, so people just kind of inflate that a little bit. Um, three, he does have uh, like NFL bloodlines. He's the son of a former NFL tight end. Uh, so, you know, people are going to kind of overvalue that a little bit. Um, but he was, you know, like he was productive uh, in his final season. Like he was one of the guys who was relied upon within the Alabama offense. Uh, I believe he had, I don't know, what was it like six or seven touchdowns receiving in his final season. Like he's, he's not someone who's like bad. Um, and given that he's 21 um, as a rookie uh, and he's likely to be drafted in the first round, um, given that pedigree and the age, like he's someone I'm going to be interested in. Um, somewhat related, but remember with Brashad Perriman, there was the idea of the NFL lineage. However, if you looked at his picture, he looked like he was like 95. So it kind of questioned the yes. age piece. Um, yeah, that, that is the, he, he broke the idea of looking for that NFL pedigree for me. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So. No, the NFL pedigree <laughs> thing that, that doesn't, that doesn't matter at all to me, but that's part of why people are liking him. But yeah, you know, he had 700 yards receiving seven, uh, touchdowns as a junior, uh, at just 20 years old. Like that's pretty good. Yeah. All right, so that takes us through the top three players. We are going to have Combine info to talk about next week. Um, did we not mention anybody that get that you know has your blood pumping, if you will, that you want to that you want to throw out from any position? Uh, no. Um, I guess I would say one one player who is interesting is Bryce Love. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just don't know really anything about him. Right. Um, obviously was fantastic at Stanford in 2017 struggled with a lot of injuries in 2018 and then tore his ACL, uh, in his final college game. So he's not going to be, uh, you know, running at the combine. We're not going to have, uh, you know, like workout data. Um, and it's questionable whether he will even be able to play his rookie year. Um, so he's someone who I think has a lot of potential. Uh, and if he would have, you know, gone into the NFL draft last year, yep. Um, he might've been a second round pick. Now I think he's likely to go like in the third or fourth round, uh, maybe even slip a little bit further than that, but like could have some actual viability once he gets healthy. So he's someone just to kind of keep in mind. Yeah, actually I remember talking to Jordan Hoover. I forget if it was last season or the season before about college prospects to keep an eye on when he was working on some Debbie things. And uh, Bryce Love was one of the first names that he mentioned. Um, and, and by the way, if you want to really dig into these players, Jordan Hoover and Hassan Rahim have been putting out tremendous profiles on the site too. So go and look up um, you know, any of these players and we'll have an extensive profile on them. But yeah, we have the combine starting starting tomorrow. So Matt, are you going to have this on while you're going through your workday tomorrow? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I don't watch it anyway. Yep. Um, but two, uh, we're not going to see anything until Friday. Uh, that's when the on-field workouts start. So that's Friday is really the day. Okay. Um, I didn't know how into the in, into the coverage you got. Um, especially with the prop bets you might have going on. Who knows what uh, you have going? But like, do you, no? I just I I bet and then I don't pay attention. That's kind of what and it seems I just, like. I, yeah, and then I just hope that uh, I made the right decision. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
did you mention the podcast idea to your wife? Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah, I had a feeling you wouldn't, but I thought that that could no. be the, the non-football item for this week. Perhaps, you know, maybe no. this could get some traction. I, I totally forgot about it. Um, but um, I should say the Oscars, man, I love betting on the Oscars and not even on um, on like which movie is going to win best picture or anything like that, but all of the other random things around the Oscars, like all of the prop bets, like will someone fall on the way to the stage? Will someone drop an Oscar trophy? Like all of those bets, um, those were fun. How did you do? Oh, I I slayed. Really? I I did, you know, yeah, on those I I was literally undefeated on those. Hmm. Um I didn't do as well on the the actual bets for, you know, like best picture, yeah. best director, stuff like that. But for the the random props, uh I I did well on those cuz I basically bet no on everything. Yeah, that's probably a good way to do it. Um yeah. what's the what's the payout on those? Uh, sometimes it was, oh, there was one, uh, and this was at like the height of the ridiculousness as to whether Whoopi Goldberg would be a surprise, uh, <laughs> guest host and no was plus 100. <laughs> really? It's like easy. Yeah. yeah, that is. Uh, yeah. I mean, whether someone would fall down, I think at one point was maybe like minus 350. Yep. Maybe, maybe it was like minus 500, but like you could sort of just look at like the historical rates at which someone fell down right. at the Oscars. Uh, it's it happened as far as I could find only once. It was just like a really big moment where people have it stuck in their memory. Uh, I couldn't find an instance of anyone dropping an Oscar trophy. Um, I, you know, so like all of these things you can just kind of do a little bit of research on. Um, I, I middled, this was probably the most satisfying thing that's going to happen to me as a sports better this year. Yep. And it wasn't even sports. I middled the show duration. Um, one book had it at, uh, the over under at three hours and 50 minutes and one book had it at three hours, 15 minutes. Whoa. So, uh, I, I was lucky to get the middle Holy there. Crap, that's a huge, huge, that's a huge spread. spread. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, Matt, that, um, I don't know anything. Well, yeah, no, I don't really know anything about, I believe they call it award season. Are we still in it or do I have other opportunities to get in on this? Oh no. Award season is, is over with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right. I'm actually, I had never thought about this. See, my wife likes to watch award shows. I do not. Um, but this could perhaps make them a little bit more palatable. Um, and make up for the the sports watching. I have not asked. What does your wife think of sports? Uh, she doesn't pay attention to sports at all. Is she bothered by your extreme interest in them? Uh, no, because it's my job. Yeah, that definitely helps. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that helps, helps. man. It it does help. Yep, yeah. yep. All right. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And with that note, um, we will see you next week where we will go through these combined results. But as far as today's episode goes, that is going to do it. I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at MattF. The Oracle, this has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. 
Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.